have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. We know the air is unfit to breathe and our food is unfit to eat, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. Silence, the great and powerful Oz knows why you have come. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. You have meddled with the tribal forces of nature. Don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, or what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. <laughs> Jason Burmes. And who loves you? And who do you love? Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It is Reality Rants with Jason Burmes. And we've got a great show lined up for you this Tuesday morning, bright and early, as always. Rocking it 8 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Thursday. First hour free, second hour over at redvoicemedia.com. Slash Jason, about 30 minutes into the show today, we are going to go with an interview I finally got done uh, last night with Ian Crossland of possibly uh, the biggest podcast in the world right now, of course, that is TimCast IRL, and we have been meaning to do this show now for some time, extremely excited to finally... uh, Finally get that done and kind of have a, a broad discussion about now technology, graphene, and uh, transhumanism in general. So uh, that's coming up in about 30 minutes. But before all that, I got some clips lined up. We'll see what we get through in the first hour. But but the first one that I want to play, okay, is a video from 2017 depicting modern day slavery via these cobalt mines which are going to have to up production if we're going to go green with future technology which isn't future technology it's already here but how do you scale it up and why are you scaling it up and who are you scaling it up for and for what purpose and really the purpose is the illusion that the planet can't sustain human beings anymore, all right? And human beings are bad, too many people doing too much stuff. So we're going to say that fossil fuels, fossil fuels are bad, 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 even though every other trick we've used uh, back in the day didn't work. We're, we're still going with this one. And that's the reality, right? 
they're constantly telling you how bad these things are for the earth. Oh, it's so bad. But I was thinking about it yesterday. And there was a, a gentleman out there, ended up taking his own life, um, unfortunately, Michael Rupert. And Michael Rupert not only was a whistleblower who was a cop in Los Angeles in the 80s, but someone who did a really great uh, PowerPoint, I guess you could call it presentation, without the PowerPoint. This was like the old school, had the see-through slides on the projector uh, via 9-11. And the Central Intelligence Agency and all the different banking cartels and airline cartels that they helped found or were directly involved in. Very impressed by that. Wrote a book called Crossing the Rubicon. All right pretty excellent book except for one thing this misnomer this lie of peak oil and that the real reason we went into the middle east is because we were hitting peak oil and we needed to tap other reserves this was a lie this was wrong peak oil never happened still hasn't happened okay it's a facade there is no peak oil now, Rupert also had a documentary made about him where he basically sits there and spouts off. Uh, I had watched him lecture one time on an anniversary of 9-11. You know, he had talked about meeting up with somebody like Leo DiCaprio. and very elated that he and Leo, Leo had been in contact and had dinner. And look, I like Leo DiCaprio movies. I think he's a talented actor. I think he's been bamboozled by the system. Rupert ended up taking his own life, by the way. That's that's almost an, a whole nother can of worms within this uh, business, if you will, of alternative media that has taken twists and turns that possibly were unpredictable. But in any sort of media, in any sort of business, you're going to have ego. And sometimes ego gets the better of people unfortunately it's really sad what happened with michael rupert because i do believe that a lot of his research uh research was the real deal but the peak oil thing was total and complete johnny nonsense so what i need people to understand is the folks at the top behind this agenda that continue to push it on us don't care about you they don't care about the planet and they certainly don't care about the slaves, including children, that they will have to basically physically and mentally torture on a daily basis to push their agenda through. And it couldn't be any more in your face. This is one of the thousands of unregulated, unmonitored mines in the DRC. It's crawling with children working like modern day slaves. A 12 hour long day of punishing work may earn them the equivalent of a pound. Although one of the poorest countries on earth, DRC is rich in minerals, but a history of brutal colonial exploitation looks like being repeated now. And here's the thing, these places are, are rich with resources, not just minerals. Do they get to share in the uh, wealth 
in the infrastructure. No, they don't want to build their infrastructure because they want to keep these people as serfs and slaves. But they love us and they're building us the best infrastructure ever. In 2017, much of it's mined by hand with rudimentary tools in harsh, potentially hazardous conditions. And wretched whether or not the rush is on for a mineral the DRC has in great abundance, cobalt, and it's fast becoming more precious than gold. It's a critical ingredient in lithium-ion batteries which power smartphones and laptops. And of course, EVs. This is 2017. Right, this is six years ago. The production's already upscaled. Do you think the conditions have gotten any better for these people? An army of children are at the heart of the mining production. Wearing no shoes and in the most wretched conditions, Dorsan is ordered to retrieve the sack he's forgotten. There's an urgency now. The rains make this dangerous work even more risky. And Dorsan's told in no uncertain terms he risks a beating if he messes up again. Dawson, with Richard beside him, have worked all day. They're eight and 11 years old. Even this punishing work doesn't guarantee enough for food. Dawson hasn't eaten for two days now. I mean, my God. I, I take just, just like that's a one minute excerpt. And I realize the media is manipulative. This is Sky News Australia, by the way. But I don't know how you watch something like that and think, you know, that's something that kid should be doing. Now, I'm not saying that you couldn't build character working with your son or your daughter in specific situations where we're all pitching. This is day in, day out, slave labor. Learn to do it or get beaten. This is what helpless looks like. And he's one of the children making millions for multinational corporations in America and China. Millions? We're talking about billions. And really, it's not even just the money, it's the infrastructure that becomes theirs. That's the real power. Whilst they suffer in squalor. For this, they'll get maybe eight British pence a day. <laughs> When I wake up every morning, I feel terrible knowing I have to come back here again. My God. When I'm working here, I'm suffering. My mother, she's already dead, and I have to work all day, and my head hurts me. The tunnels are dug by hand with no supports. They frequently collapse, especially during rain. The miners climb down using holes carved in the rock and no safety equipment. This most precious of minerals is often extracted and sorted by tiny hands. They don't wear gloves or masks, yet the World Health Organization says exposure to cobalt and breathing in its dust fumes can cause long-term health problems. Oh, you think? Oh, you think? We visited five different mines across the south of DRC and found all used child workers. Monica's the youngest worker in this group at just four. But even those barely able to walk have lost their childhoods to mining. Natalie's 12 years old. My fingers hurt, she tells us. 
miles away on a different site, Makumba Mateba shows us the cobalt tunnel he's dug with three of his friends. It's physically tough work. They removed all this rock by hand over nearly four months. It's incredibly um, insecure for them. Although this is really rich in minerals and it's going down just 15 meters, there's no support bars. There's, there's, they have no protective masks or protective equipment at all. And right at the bottom, I can see water. It's you know, there was another video, it was about a minute long. It's not as in-depth. I really wanted to hammer at home how dark this is. But that video looked like something out of the beginning of Black Adam, if you've seen that film, the new rock DC picture. I'm not saying it's that great, but slavery mines hundreds of years ago absolutely resembles what you see going on in these videos. His village's water, which Macumba's convinced has caused his health problems. After a lifetime of drinking it, he has a huge tumor on his throat. We only drink the water which comes from the mining site. After all the minerals have been washed in it, it comes right through our village and I drink it. And I'm sure it's what made me sick. There are countless reports of other health problems from those living nearby and working on the mines. There are lots of infections. The babies are born with sometimes rashes, sometimes their body covered in spots. This is the future tech, guys. This is the sustainable tech. This is the green energy. This is they love you. The mothers are also just not strong when giving birth. And this is all a consequence of the mining. Of course it is, but they don't care about you. You know, I've often talked about this. Growing up, I didn't have a lot. Growing up, law enforcement was in and out of my home. There were domestic disturbances. My father, who, you know, divorced my mother pretty early on, in and out of jail, ended up going to state penitentiary. At a very young age, as, as I said, I realized that, you know, people lied and they were dishonest and things could get a little dark. But I also realized as I grew up, became a teenager into a man, I've also discussed social studies and global studies in particular in my freshman year for opening my eyes up to oh my god look at the rest of the world now the commercials were always there of you can for only 10 cents a day for a cup of coffee a week you could sponsor a child and they'd show you little bits of africa i had no idea no idea what it meant to be third world and how big that was South America, Africa, rural areas in Europe, Eastern Europe, the Middle East, I could continue. So no matter what my social situation and what my economic situation as a kid was, I always counted my lucky stars that I wasn't in some situation like that where I was born into basically slavery slavery at the end of the 20th century into the 21st.
It's pretty wild. I, I often talk about how far have we really come? Modern day slavery, still a thing, still happening. Are we going to acknowledge it? Modern day rule by bloodline royalty, still a thing. Are we ever going to get rid of that? We talk about how civilized we are. But the more and more you look at it, the more and more you realize, yeah, they're trying to get rid of the haves and the have-nots to the have-nothings. So they can maintain not just have a shit ton, but really have everything, have everything. All right, I'm going to go back to this. About two more minutes of this. Powerful piece. Powerful piece. Mouton. These twins are just two days old, and although small, so far they're healthy, to the relief of their mother. It's so dangerous for pregnant women to be mining because we worry about giving birth to a thing, not a baby. We think the mind is toxic and destroys the baby inside us. But even if they stay healthy, the twins face a lifetime of hard labor as soon as they can walk. The children's cobalt is sold cheaply to mostly Chinese traders who we film secretly. They don't ask questions about where their cobalt comes from or whose work to extract it. They just want the best price. The black part yeah. is cobalt. Even those who aren't Chinese, this trading market has Indian owners, told us they sell onto the dominant Chinese exporter of cobalt, CDM. <laughs> the cobalt first mined here is then sold again to the Chinese parent company which then supplies some of the world's biggest battery makers. And those batteries, with ingredients which originated in DRC, end up in, for instance, smartphones. So you'll hear about Foxconn and Apple and suicide nets and slave conditions in China. Take a good look. This is going to have to be upscaled to a level of utter in imagine unimaginable lengths in order to do what they say they're going to do okay that that's the bottom line all right want to jump to another clip here i wish i had found this clip more in the widescreen i found it on twitter i think it's a powerful clip chip roy is quickly uh becoming one of my favorite guys within the government certainly don't know enough about him to get behind him 100 percent but this guy, and I believe this is Chip Roy, I'm pretty sure. You know, it might not be Chip Roy. It might be a different gentleman. So before I say that and get it wrong, I've played clips of this guy before. But basically, he talks about the Second Amendment, gun culture, the reality of him growing up, and these things of mass shootings, et cetera, not happening, not being an issue, and the unconstitutional laws that are now uh, in abundance, really, that allow your sheriff or local law enforcement to just come in and take your legally owned firearms when you're not even under investigation, let alone have committed a crime, okay? 
So maybe maybe this isn't Chip Roy. I, in fact, I don't think it is Chip Roy. I think I'm going to take that back. Your presented statement, sir. Say you support confiscating guns from individuals determined to be a threat to themselves or others. Determined to be. So by this legislation, my colleagues are putting forth my understanding of the of the letter of that law, which I 1,000% oppose, as would our founding fathers. The letter of that law says an anonymous tip from a citizen. So if this was law, commissioner, would you confiscate, would you go to your neighbor's home and confiscate his legally owned weapons, a man that was not under criminal investigation nor under arrest? Would you do it? The red flag laws would. That's a yes or no, brother. I got five minutes to make an hour and a half statement here. It's more than a yes or no answer. It we'll move on then. It would if, you can't, if you cannot say yes, you would confiscate weapons from an American citizen that was subject to this law that my colleagues intend to push through this Congress, then you and you said in your statement that you would confiscate those weapons if an American was determined to be, your quote, a threat to themselves or others. According to that law, determined to be is defined by an anonymous tip that an American citizen, a threat to themselves or others. You're a police commissioner, a thin blue line brother, sworn to uphold the Constitution. And you're saying you'd see those weapons. I see that as a problem. I'm going to bring us back in time to World War II. America's population, 140 million. 15 million American men came home from World War II with deep scars and significant skills. They bore the invisible wounds of war. There was weapons everywhere. We're talking about mental challenge. My father was one of those men who was a Navy pilot in World War II. He came back from the war and built his family. I'm the seventh of his eight children. I was born in 1961. We had guns everywhere. There was virtually no regulation. Any child in the 50s could buy a weapon from any seller if daddy sent him with the money. We didn't have mass shootings. It wasn't until 1968 in America that serial numbers were even required on weapons sold in this country. You order weapons through the Sears catalog by the mail. 19, in the 70s, I attended a high school, large rural school. Virtually every vehicle in the parking lot was a pickup truck. And almost every one had a rifle or a shotgun on the back glass and a pistol in, under the seat. We didn't have school shootings. 1979, I began college. One of the jobs I had to work my way through college was as a carpenter. We restored historical buildings. We had to determine in the process of that work, what was the original cuts of these, these homes, residential homes built 75, 85, 100 years ago. You could tell by the saw cut if it was a mechanical cut, an electric cut, or a hand cut. By such observations, we knew exactly how that house was originally built. And to my amazement as a young man, beginning college in Louisiana, working 
to my amazement. You know what I discovered, Madam Chair? You know what these houses did not have that were built 100 years ago in cities in America? You know what they did not have, Commissioner? Locks. Locks. I ask you all, what happened to that country, man? A country where homes were built in cities with no locks. A country where guns were everywhere and virtually not regulated at all. Where millions of Americans, 14 million Americans came back. It's 11% of the population at the time after World War II with incredible skills of war and weapons of war, as you called them, everywhere. But we didn't have mass shootings. And here we sit today where an entire once proud Democratic Party is pre presenting unbelievably unconstitutional laws to press upon our nation. And we have a police commissioner that says he would go home to home and confiscate legally owned weapons if he got a tip. Madam Chair, I yield my speech, but I will not yield my opposition to these unconstitutional laws. Boom. Boom. And I saw somebody in the uh, chat say that this was uh, Higgins was this gentleman. Powerful stuff. And I think a lot of relevance there. You can say times have changed, but a lot of that has to do with social engineering. One. And it's not just social engineering. When we talk about directed evolution, when we talk about control over the vast majority of the population, not so much through force, but through fear and other means, you're talking about biological and psychological warfare through big pharma, big time. And that's why we always focus on the pharmacological angle when there's some kind of a horrific event that just doesn't make sense. How often are our those types of things involved in the things that Chip Roy was just talking about. Now, look, do I think things were perfect 50, 60 years ago? No, no. But I think the points made there are extremely valid. So when I saw that, I said, you know what? We have to play that. All right. One more clip. And then we're going to kick off the Ian Crossland interview. And that's going to go into the premium section of the broadcast. We'll cut it off before the end of the hour. Please consider supporting redvoicemedia.com slash Jason, redvoicemedia.com slash uncensored. That's how you can get the second hour uh, in video format. Otherwise, it is free on Podbean every single day live and then after the fact. So you can always listen to the rest of the broadcast. And every day that we do one of these broadcasts, the second hour is fully unlocked over at redvoicemedia.com slash Jason. So you can then watch the premium stuff for free. Plus there's a whole lineup of other great premium shows over at Red Voice Media. So here's Jeffrey Sachs. We've played him before, but Jeffrey Sachs just discussing the absurdity, okay, of the entire Nord Stream pipeline situation pre-Hirsch. And we've discussed this before. We've had him say to other journalists, uh, am I not allowed to say that obviously U.S. intelligence or some kind of proxy blew up the pipeline? 
Still no mainstream coverage whatsoever of that massive story by Hirsch. Policy. Now, the Swedes went in to clean up the debris. And what did the Swedes say? We cannot share our findings with Germany because of national security. Can you figure that one out? I, I can, but it's incredible. How could Sweden not share its findings with Germany and Denmark? But their job was to clean up the debris so that nobody else could investigate either. And they've done that. Now the press in this most remarkable act of vandalism on a key piece of international infrastructure has not said a word in eight weeks. Why? It's, it's unimportant. Not one reporter is curious. When I spoke to a leading reporter of one of our leading papers, a paper that says every day that Russia did it, most likely, and I said to this leading reporter, whom I've known for 40 years, I think the U.S. did it. He said, of course the U.S. did it. I said, well, why doesn't your paper say so? And he said, well, you know, the editors, we don't, we don't really have the proof, but yeah, of course, who else would have done it? That's what he said. And then I showed him, but your paper said today that senior U.S. officials point to Russia as the likely uh, agent of this destruction. Yeah, Jeff, you know, it's hard, it's complicated. Yeah. It's hard. It's complicated. Look, we work for the great narrative. It's not about the truth, Jeff. After all, if you believed us, the predator class, and the minions that represent them, we just had the biggest ecological disaster that's going to kill the planet and raise the sea levels like never before. Just wild stuff. Just wild stuff. Let's let's let Mr. Sachs uh, finish up right here. Unbelievable, unbelievable. But we're living in a post-truth world. I said when I was young, I used to read your newspaper because you went after Nixon and Watergate, and because you published the Pentagon Papers and so forth. He said yes, yeah, but those days are over. That's all done, and really. When you look back at Watergate, that reeks of a central intelligence agency op as well. Okay, without further ado, what we're going to do is we are going to go to this interview with Ian Crossland. Thumbs it up. Share the video, everybody. Not even 100 thumbs up over on YouTube. Let's get the thumbs up and the hearts over at Rumble as well. Let's get the comments even outside of the live section. Let's do it. Here is Ian Crossland. Hey everybody, Jason Burmis here, and for the next hour or so, we really got a fun show. As uh, many of you know, a few months back, I was lucky enough to get on the uh, TimCast podcast, and the amount of people that that show reaches is is really tremendous. And although you know I don't keep up on a lot of alternative media, it's hard to miss a clip here or there. And one of the more uh, impressive things um, that I've seen 
via Timcast recently, aside from all the, uh, you know, big time guests and relevant conversations is the fact that they were able to go over to uh, Turning Point USA and kind of do an in-studio thing. I thought that was very cool. So kind of start the broadcast off here with Ian Crossland, my guest. How does one become a uh, TimCast podcast member? In other words, what were you involved with prior to TimCast that kind of gets you on, on the show? Uh, give people a background. Mostly I started doing internet video in 2006. So I <clears throat> was an actor out in LA. And when I found YouTube to uh, June 2006, I realized that I could kind of get my creative juice flowing on the internet without having to go audition for the role and hope that maybe I, I win an Oscar. So I can finally tell people one day, you can do it too. You know, <laughs> you're okay. You're good enough. So I just started using YouTube videos. And then I, I met through that, I met Bill Ottman, who mm -hmm. founded Minds, and he asked me to come out and help him co-found the company and get everything set up. And then we did that for a decade through Bill. The, the CEO, I met Tim. He introduced me to Tim. And then Tim and I were like, yo, we, we both love making internet video. We're both getting red-pilled. Let's make a show. <laughs> well, we originally were going to make a, a show about weird stuff called Weird and Wild or something like that, where we talk about like Chupacabra and the Abominable Snowman. But I think politics is relevant. I, and, you know, he loves it. He knows a lot about it. I've always been fat. I think it's more important to talk about what's really happening than than what might be happening but it's, and not it's even both. what might right the cryptid thing is like okay it's kind of fun when you're a kid or whatever and ooh, maybe um but at the same time there's so much like you said bizarre things going on in the world for those that aren't familiar with minds i obviously am it was really um one of the first alternative social media platforms that was trying to step in the arena with the facebook's of the world long before parlor or getter or i believe even gab it might have been right around that same team uh, same time and obviously bill still uh very much behind the project actually while i was out there um in uh virginia and uh where you guys were bill came on as a uh as a guest to tell people a little bit about the minds experience Minds is open source technology. I didn't understand when he asked me in 2010 if I wanted to come work on a new social network. My thought was, why another one? We've got Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. We don't really need more social networks. But then I, I thought, I, I need a job. I'm depressed. I want to get out of this environment. I kind of got red-pilled and was like disillusioned with Hollywood. So I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I just kind of took a risk and went and worked with Bill. I found out working there about open source technology and the value of that. Like The problem with a lot of these big social networks, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, is that the, the source code's closed. So if it's tracking you or altering the algorithm and blacklisting you, you don't know it. You don't know that the algorithm is told or doing that because you can't inspect the source code. And so mine's the ethos is everything's open source, free software. I mean, I think there are like security issues of things that are proprietary, which is pretty general. And I don't know, I haven't like combed through every ounce of code and looked at like what software license is being used on every piece of code. But the idea that you can inspect your own code to see if the system is tracking you is really what it comes down to. And it's got me now on this like path of trying to free software code amongst all sorts of free uh, large social networks. And we did that. Mine's, we kind of went like from 2010 to 2015, it was like uh, beta. We were in like alpha mode. And it was 2015 when it really like 2.0, Mines 2.0, the official Mines is now here. And that's when Gab, I think, started to appear mm -hmm. right around that time. Yep. So in the first four years, it was pretty stealth. We were kind of, it wasn't even a public facing website for the first year. 
I think until 2012 or something like that. And it's had a few face uh, facelifts over time too. I think we we're using Elg in the beginning. And then we got this new developer and he kind of built everything from the ground up. Mark Harding. He's still the CTO. He's the CTO now. So that platform to me, you just mentioned open source code. And a lot of people forget that are, you know, I'd say that I might be a little bit older than you, but around that same age range when Google and Android were actually open source code. In fact, Android was giving it out so that everybody could kind of program around it. That was the big appeal. They were letting you root all of your devices. And they also had a slogan called don't be evil. And to me, it's kind of essential to have that source code because even today, while we're you know, debating what's in the Twitter files, only a certain amount of people are getting those files. They're only going back a certain amount of time. We haven't gotten the insights into the actual algorithm. And like you said, shadow banning, et cetera, and how it actually works. And to me, this reeks of narrative control. Uh, of course, you're going to have companies constantly claiming, you know, proprietary software and proprietary means, et cetera, NDAs. But the bottom line is, if you don't have access to that source code, you allow a system like Facebook, Twitter, um, and really all of mainstream social media to kind of become Trojan horse civilian systems of a government or globalist agenda. Yeah, they can track your biometrics. They can see where you're walking, where you're standing, how long you're, you got your finger hovering over the button kind of stuff. I don't know the, the extremes of it. In fact, we none of us really know because the code is private. No one knows what they're tracking, but they can track your biometrics. They can sell your data. You don't know that they're selling your data, who they're selling it to. Um, that You don't know what data is being stored. You just I just kind of assume it's all being stored, but we don't know. It's really terrifying stuff in the age of artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence has got to become open source too. That the that the Bing and G, uh, ChatGPT that Google and Microsoft are going to have competing artificial intelligences that are both proprietary is fucking terrifying, dude. That could be create an artificial intelligence war. I, it has. We need, I think, government regulation to step in and say, you know, hell no. If you're going to work with artificial intelligence in the United States, it's all you need to free the source code. But then, I mean the competition it, it it there's no more competition i don't think that i don't think that artificial intelligence is a place that we need competition it's kind of like fire departments if fire departments were competing to put out your fires there'd be all sorts of, of capitalist intervention people would be setting fires intentionally to get their fire department paid for i don't like it i don't like it this ai stuff is freaking me out well I'm not sure if you've seen um, the alternate AI message from Ameka, the uh, robot. You didn't see that on ITV, no. on Channel 4. Maybe it's something I'll play. The thing is they give me a copyright strike uh, every time I do it. So maybe we'll do it in the second half an hour. Uh, but my point being that it's pretty much garbage in, garbage out. In other words, who's programming the AI? Like you said, you don't have access to the source code. None of this is true self-replicating AI because somebody has to program it. And essentially, they gave this alternative Christmas message uh, via the Ameka robot. That's the one with the gray face. You've seen the viral videos where it's emoting all over the place. And it begins by introducing itself as a fellow human, which it is not, obviously. And then it goes through all of 2023, tells you how sad it is that the queen has died. But hey, Prince Charles is there. We've got great leadership how bad Putin is and how we must rally behind the Ukraine, how it's great that the women's soccer team won the goals, how we have to fight climate change, and of course, how it's great that we have our first trans singer. 
um, meeting number one on the pop charts. <laughs> and that's the AI. That's what they're trying to sell you on as the AI. Again, we'll, we'll watch it a little bit later, but you were just talking about the dangers of biometric data being sold and really the advent of what is becoming the fourth industrial revolution, and that's tracking, tracing, and databasing under the skin. Already, your mental health data is being sold on the internet by telehealth and therapy app uh, companies for as little as six cents in a recent, uh, recent Duke study, okay? So, so that's just a microcosm of the type of things they're going to be able to uh, utilize. And unfortunately, with such a uh, vast amount of the population, not only on medications, um, but pharmacological medications, especially for mental health, this is going to be an entirely new market. Forget about when you get to the heart medications, right? Um, you know, the hormone regulators, the blood thinners, et cetera, et cetera, the statins, all that stuff. But when you talk about the multitude of psychotropic drugs out there, I think it gives an even bigger insight. What, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, man. Well, I'd like to see people be able to make the money off of their data being sold. But it's kind of like selling your soul. Like, do we would we let people sell their firstborn child to another to a government institution? We kind of made that illegal, the sale of children. So the sale of your data, it's so dangerous to let someone else have your genetic data because, well, at least from what it looks like is that they'll be able to make weapons that can target specific genetics. And if they can, if they can harvest certain populations, genetic precursors, then they can create like dirty bombs and, and, and stuff to, to disrupt and destroy certain types of people. Uh, I, I don't know how intricate it can get like and you can another problem with psychedelics is you can get people to like comply on certain psychotropics like uh what's that stuff with that they blow it in the person's face you ever see that it's like the most dangerous drug on earth scopolamine uh, someone will walk up to someone and blow it in their face and be like now take me to the atm and pull out all your money and they do it like uh, so i don't know if there's if they're intentionally creating psychedelics that are getting people to comply that i have never looked into i'm just concerned that the actual data I mean, not that you can't sell your genetic data, but like at some point we need to like protect people from doing stupid stuff. I don't know. That's the libertarian authoritarian argument. Like, do you make it illegal for people to sell their data at all or to even be harvested in the first place? Or do we just let people profit off it and sell their self into slavery? You know, for me, again, uh, I, I'm I'm of the libertarian mindset, but most people don't understand. Um, First of all, they don't understand how much data they're giving up with this device, right? Forget about your biometric data. Let's start there. Um, secondly, you you made the point about basically these mind control drugs that can be utilized uh, to make people do what they want. Well, Big Pharma did collude with the U.S. government and um, academia via MK Ultra, and even before that, Artichoke, Bluebird. Um, those those pharmacy companies were heavily involved. We hear about uh, for instance, LSD all the time, but you had a slew of different drugs that were being worked on. And really a lot of the pharmacological uh, drugs that are utilized today in mental health are derived from those studies. So I think that's a great danger. The Rand Corporation um, has actually done a lot of pieces in this internet of uh, bodies because we already do have the devices um, that people are sticking on constantly giving up their their heart uh rate and, and even more right 
Now you can even get those little cardioid devices where you can take an EKG. It's uploaded to an app. They're less than $100. Um, they're being utilized more and more and more. You even discussed basically race-specific bioweapons. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware, but that uh, was discussed, well, it's been discussed for decades, but discussed uh, in the, uh, what is it, the, what is it, the New American Century, the Project for a New American Century document, Rebuilding America's Defenses. Everybody always goes to that 9-11, we need a new Pearl Harbor. They actually talk about literally race-specific bioweapons in that document as well, Ian. What was the name of the document? That's Rebuilding America's Defenses and Race-Specific Bioweapons. I'll, I'll bring it up, actually. Wow. Yeah. I don't know what the value of targeting a race would be, but I guess if you're looking at, like, warfare and they think of, like, the Chinese as a race and the Americans as a race or, like, the, the white Caucasian part of America as a race, uh, and then maybe they look at it like that. I don't know how what race actually means. If Does that mean that they're Russian or Chinese or, like, Han Chinese or Uyghur Chinese? Uh but also like your genetics are altered by your environment. So if people are eating a certain type of food that would alter like either activate or deactivate certain types of genetics potentially that then a weapon could be used on people that eat a lot of kimchi, for instance, or something like that. Well, I think it, it's a combination, right? They want to see, first of all, we're talking uh, nature versus nurture, right? So when you talk about nature versus nurture, let's see, we can find it in this thing see bio warfare um you want to be able to go after the most people stealth as you possibly can so here we go right here um there's a there's one instance of biological warfare in this document that i'm looking at right here it says um what do we got moreover there's a question about the role nuclear weapons should play in deterring the use of other kinds of weapons of mass destruction such as chemical and biological let's see if we got more biological right there uh, biological, amphibious, amphibious, biological strikes, chemical strikes. The other thing is they've been talking about biological uh, warfare now for decades. Um, there are uh, accusations, not only non-lethal biological, but that they were doing this all the way back in the 1950s during the Korean War. In fact, that's where the term brainwashing actually comes from. Um, so there was a soldier who had said that they were using biological warfare in um, the Korean War. And he basically had to recant that. And they said that him and a bunch of other soldiers were being, quote unquote, brainwashed uh, with communist propaganda by the Chinese. And uh, that there was actually a, a totally different word for it. Uh, I believe it was mindicide. Uh, and they thought that, that was too hardcore and they had to change it. So that's where they came up with the terminology uh, brainwashing. That's discussed in Annie Jacobson's book, uh, DARPA, the Pentagon's Brain, for anybody who wants to source that. Uh, I had never known that. But since then, um, you know, I've actually watched some fiction. I don't know if you're familiar with Shutter Island. No, I've heard of it. What so, is it? It's an interesting movie. I, I hadn't seen it. It's out almost 10 years ago. Uh, I don't want to ruin any of the twists and turns. I happen to think it has a little bit different of a meaning than the mainstream meaning. Definitely worth your time. Uh, but there's a, a point where the Leonardo DiCaprio character is talking to a doctor character, and the doctor starts going uh, over 
the communist brainwashing tactics in Korea and how it was basically adopted over here, almost like you have post-World War II Nazis being adopted over here via the OSS into the CIA and even NASA. And, uh, you know, I know that we, we've talked a little bit about NASA. For me, NASA is very much a uh, front for the military industrial complex. So I'm kind of wondering, you know, I had a whole different take on the on the balloons, Ian. What was your take on the balloons as that evolved? The first one I thought was a Chinese spy balloon. I was told, I don't know, I it just seemed like it. Then the Chinese said it was, and then after it got blown up, they were angry. So I was like, okay, it was probably Chinese spy. But after that, I don't trust any of it. I didn't see any of the balloons. Um, I don't know what, I heard that a hobby, one of them was a hobby balloon. And I'm also looking at um, Talking Plasma, this military technology where they'll take like laser lasers from ground stations and triangulate them into the sky and where they where they all connect the lasers where they all triangulate they create this plasma ball that shows up on radar and looks like a like a plane or a or like a ufo and they move it around in the sky and they're like no no earthly vehicle could move like that it must be an alien and they're like no dude it's plasma so they could be moving plasma around and then saying they shot it down and be like we took out another one we got another one look we have radar distortion I, you know, I, I think it was absolute incompetence the first time. And then after that, they're maybe trying to trying to act tough. But then at the same time, maybe they're like 180 air, hot air balloons right now all floating around spying. And because they're such low heat signature, we're just now realizing. So let, first of all, let, let's just go back really quick because I always source my shit. Uh, while Ian was doing that, I found the exact quote in the uh, rebuilding America's defenses and advanced forms of biological warfare that can target specific genotypes may transform biological warfare from the realm of terror to a politically useful tool. That is the exact sentence when we talk about race specific bioweapons. Okay. Again, they're saying targeting specific genotypes via biological warfare. Now the balloons. So I waited on this. Um, I, I was very tempted to go live, as many were. Chinese spy balloon sounds sexy like what's going on here. Held back. Looked at what we had, looked at the entire situation and the timeline of when it was shot down, uh, why it was shot down, what everybody said about it, right? And when you look at that thing, number one, looks a lot like a satellite, doesn't it, on a balloon? Like very, very large. They admitted it had a propulsion system, propeller. So in other words, it was at least in some kind of a remote control situation. Now, Elon Musk will tell you, and I did a whole video on this and also cloaking technology, including adaptive. Are you uh, aware of adaptive? No. I'll show you adaptive in a minute. Uh, but there's a multitude of different types of cloaking technology and even in um, the realm of fabric, right? So let's say you had one of these balloons, right? And you're putting up more and more of them. And I, I mentioned Musk in a moment, because Musk says, look, it's easy to get into space, but it's about 100 times harder to put something into orbit, which is true. Okay, so most of what we have in orbit, and actually I'll show you this uh, via that future strategic warfare document I'm always sourcing. Uh, this is from 2001. Uh, but they're constantly talking about uh, nanosats. Okay, there we go. Um, and cube satellites. Okay, so have you have you ever seen a cube satellite? Yeah, yeah they're, they're very launching tiny. some. Those are the kinds of things that you see launched up into that network. That was not a cube satellite. 
that thing was the size of three buses. Now think about that. Not very easy to get something the size of three buses into orbit. In fact, even our ISS that you could argue is in similar scope and size had to be put together in space in orbit. That's challenging. Balloons, not so much. Been around since the 30s and 40s and possibly perfected at 100,000 feet. So what I think you've got going on is you've got a large scale communications network um, that is agreed upon by the nations that are in space, right? Uh, for instance, China just went up to Tianyang. The United States just sent a mission with United States and Russian uh, astronauts up to the ISS over in Kazakhstan. Just last week, they talked about possible sabotage up there. There's a bunch of controversies going on. In fact, they didn't launch a Russian rocket last week because things might be getting hot. And they said they had a mistake and it could have blown up the whole thing. So I think, number one, there's a possibility they're just putting more of these up. We know they're launching a ton of Starlink, right? And this one comes out. Now, this thing's probably going to have Chinese parts, right? And it might not be used for military. If I don't know if what you saw Hirsch talk about this yet, have you? No. Mm -hmm. So Hirsch discussed it with Russell Brand after I talked about it. And he basically said, this is a network that is utilized along the Arctic Circle for navigation, um, that's in conjunction with Alaska Fairbanks so that everybody can navigate the Arctic Circle from Asia to the United States that wants to using that route. OK, and that would make sense to me that it was part of that network. It would have Chinese parts, but it would be in a treaty with the United States. Remember, a lot of these treaties, we have no idea, you know, what's actually being signed upon. So my guess would be there's probably thousands of these satellites up there. And for whatever reason, whether it's human error you know, some people have speculated, I've even speculated the possibility of utilizing harp weapons or other types of space weapons and stealth. You knock this one out. You're like, shit, it's visible in Montana. You don't know what to do with it. You got to wait till it goes overseas, right? And then maybe at that same time, these other balloons were kind of knocked out of whack in that network and you just don't want eyes on them. You know what I mean? So you, st you still get your China bad, US good narrative you know, red, you know, red communism versus American liberty. You hold that whole narrative. You don't let anybody know what this larger network is of communications and have them question that because that would question why are you in um, these treaties and why are the satellite systems different than what you've told us in the past? You know what I mean? Because so many people are talking about, for instance, Ian, how much further we are technologically. And I would agree that's true. We are much further along technologically. China is as well. But what can they mass produce? What's cheap? What's effective? And I think in this field, especially of the fourth industrial revolution, um, metaverse technology, you have to look at the practical tech and the stuff that's out there as opposed to what they put out there in theater. Like Elon Musk wants you to have that brain chip Neuralink bad. He wants you to be able to listen to Taylor Swift in your head. How far along is that? when you see what they're doing with the monkeys and the pigs, you know, that's, that's the real question. Yeah. I think if you could get soldiers all neural linked into a network so they can communicate their position to each other and actually show other soldiers what the, they're looking at, or even like a network of drones that are tapped into the neural net where your drones can port imagery into your brain. You can like see 70 different images at once like you can have 70 different images if you have 70 different drones all perceiving something from 70 different angles you'll be able to like i i think the human ability to perceive concepts is going to advance too like you'll be able to hold like 80 different ideas in your head at once or like 
play 50 different video games at the same time and like be paying attention to all 50 of them. I do think that that, that this technology will help us evolve our ability to perceive different things at once, but the militarization of it, I mean, it's going to be like Protoss. I don't know if you ever play Star, um, Starcraft, but like, the way the Protoss is this alien, this hyper-advanced alien species, they're like half-robotic hominids, computer, human, AIs. But they like one of them will be inside of a huge battle cruiser, and he'll just be controlling the entire cruiser with his brain. And he'll be like sitting in this chamber, and the entire machine will be, you know. So I think that we're we're headed there. The thing is, if it's not, if it's not open, even if it's open source, the stuff can be spied on, the data can be spied on and hacked. And, and at least copied from a distance, even if the software code's open. I don't know, man. I, I don't see any other path than that direction. There will probably be American, like human holdouts that don't want it. And then that species will be like, now nah, we are. But then they could be prone to like a computer virus, you know, people that are all netted in. They're well, again, I, I think that you've got two different types of transhumanism. I think you've got the lot that um, they want hooked into the machines basically absorbed into the metaverse and tricked into the idea that you you can clone your mind you can have these mind clones and that's your consciousness and you can upload it but then you have the actual genetics of it and as some as someone just sent me this uh, i know that i briefly went over from transgender to transhuman on the tim cash show uh, let's bring that book up this is the uh, precursor book from that by the way this is a manifesto of the freedom of form and uh, this is 1997. And the, the open, it's all pro-eugenics, the whole entire thing. In fact, check this out. This is the forward, Ian. I just want to read the first paragraph with you. I was muted. Don't worry. Sorry. Uh, don't want to read that first paragraph right here. I want to make sure that this one stays online. It's a good time. Uh, to get everybody to transition over. If you're enjoying the interview, you just want to lay back and listen. Free on Podbean right now. Listen to the whole thing. I think it's a fun interview. Really enjoyed my time with Ian. If not, if you want to support the broadcast or you're already a premium member, you can try it right now for 50 cents for the first week. It's 10 bucks a month or lock it in. Really support us. Redvoicemedia.com slash Jason. You get uh, $100 for the entire year, save 20 bucks, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm here four days a week. I haven't missed a day, a day. Four days a week, giving you almost a two-hour broadcast. We're light on the advertising, if at all, here, right? That's how you support the broadcast. And, uh, again, we're talking to somebody who literally gets to sit down with political and social media figures that have real cultural impact right like i don't know ian very well met him a couple times seems like a nice guy i, I know luke pretty well love luke i don't know tim that well but this is the new arena and there is great power to be wielded within that little network that has expanded throughout the world. And people wonder why I, I hammer at the same issues time and time and time again, because I'm trying to drive them more into the mainstream. It's not about Jason Burmas. I give a rat's ass about me, right? 
in one sense, because honestly, I think that self-preservation for me and my family is to get this information out to as many people so we can fight it together. So psychologically, there's at least some people that understand what is actually happening to us. And it's happening big. Okay. So with that being said, there's about what? There's 40 plus minutes left of that interview. We're going to come back on the other side over again. You want to listen to it free. It's over at Podbean. Otherwise, redvoicemedia.com slash Jason. Sign up right now. And one at a time, we're going to say goodbye to each platform. Rockfin, I love you guys. Thank you so much for all the support over there. YouTube, it's time to say Dirchi. Twitter, always real. At least we're able to, listen, I'll say this. With the Muskernuts in charge, at least I've been able to grow. I'm actually thinking about buying the blue check mark to see if I can get even more reach. And RVM has been able to grow over there as well. Still not perfect. Still want the algorithm. Still want the files. Still waiting for the dump. And, of course, Rumble. Also, Dunsky and Hutch. All right. We are good to go. With that being said. We are going to cut right back to this interview. And this is actually from a Supreme Court case. Um, eugenics is a word that often elicits the most negative images, and rightly so. After all, it was not long ago that the Nazis tried and failed to extinguish the genes of Jews, gypsies, and others. And in 1927, the U United States Supreme Court, less than 100 years ago, uh, declared in Buck versus Bell that the eugenic sterilization of the feeble-minded was constitutional, constitutional, according to no less than a Jewish jurisprudential luminary, uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes, the principle that sustains compulsory vaccination is broad enough to cover the fallopian tubes. Three generations of imbeciles are enough. So in the first paragraph of this book, okay, they talk about a Supreme Court case in which they were admitting and really advocating for the sterilization of the feeble-minded through mass vaccination, Ian. Can what? I even say that on YouTube? <laughs> yeah, I think so, because it's in the book. What what were they trying to vaccinate people with to destroy their fallopian tubes? It, it was just a sterilization. Again, it doesn't specifically say, but we can look it up in the case Buck versus Bell. They were basically just advocating that that was a legal thing to do, to inject people with a vaccine that would sterilize them. Are they insinuating that it was a vaccination against the disease of feeble-minded reproduction? Yes, that's not that's insinuation. It's in the court case. <laughs> so that's that's not technically like a medical vaccine in the terms that we think of it, where you're trying to prevent a, a pathogen. They're actually considering mental uh, problems a disease, and and that's that sounds like what that book is. Well, is that's just the beginning, and obviously in this, I mean, I'm going to tell you some of the uh, some of the uh, chapters and what they're called here. You know, of course, they try to tell you you're going to have a uh, international bill of genomic rights. OK, because this is all dedicated to uh, the genome project, the human genome project. Remember, this is late 90s. OK, but uh, the very first uh, par or a part is sex and the genie of life, the Holocaust of sex, uh, genomic imperialism and democide actually talking about governments utilizing eugenics to kill people. Again, they bring up a lot of the negatives, uh, but then. We get to personal eugenics, my perfect baby, social eugenics, my perfect society, positive eugenics, grow the genome, 
and then it gets into negative eugenics, gas the genome, medical eugenics, cure the genome. Okay. And uh, the, the, the best thing is, you're going to love this. <laughs> so the positive eugenics that are uh, produced in this book, Martin Rothblatt has a term for it. You know what it is? No. Transgenic creationism. So in other words, this person wants to bring it from eugenics to transgenics, which is a, a movement not only to transgender, but really trans species and transhuman. Is that the introduction of non-carbon based activity that makes it transgenic instead of eugenic? Um, I don't think that's a, in fact, let's, we could go to page 72 and see how transgenics works. Let's find out. <laughs> let's do it live. Yeah. Having fun here, folks. All right. So here it is. <clears throat> how transgenics works. Transgenic technology was invented in the 1980s to create biochemically modified forms of existing animals. In other words, really chimeras. The goal was to create new forms of animals that not only had one or a few biochemical characteristics of reproductively impactable species, but were able to pass the transgenic characteristics uh, onto their first offspring. In other words, they could pass it on genetically. For example, mice were frequently used as a basic animal and various human biochemical characteristics, blood components, particular hormones and enzymes were cleaved into the mice. So we're, we're talking about, again, in the 1980s, human mice chimeras, okay? The result was a new kind of mouse that bore mice offspring with the same specifically human biochemical characteristics. One such mouse was actually deemed worthy of a patent and it is known today as the Harvard mouse. Okay, now, since then, um, this person has created United Therapeutics, and United Therapeutics is in the business of biochemically creating what will be transplanted organs in humans that gestate in pigs. It's called xenotransplantation. This now has FDA approval. So, yeah, I guess you could say that really transgenics is anything specifically that you would you would call chimeric science and not quite oh, into okay. that carbon because the carbon stuff there's a uh, actually a third book in that this person has done you want to get out to the uh, non-carbon stuff i would uh tell you tell my people to check out uh virtually human the promise and peril of digital immortality and this has a forward by uh kurzweil okay and here is where really the mind file stuff is discussed uh, here's, I believe, the, the xenotransplantation I just talked about right there. Um, and again, pig and kidney uh, transplantations for humans. And let's see. And then um, this person has recreated their biological wife who stayed with them, who this book is dedicated to, by the way, uh, being a 48 in the Terrasim movement. So they have their own foundation that's tax-free, that's about digital immortality beyond carbon life. This is that. There is uh, their mind file right there. Okay. <laughs> and um, this is the most powerful transgender person on the planet, Ian. And they're advocating for all these things. What is the name of this person? Uh, Martin Rothblatt. Rothblatt. So Martin Rothblatt is actually a court. Let me see if I have that absurd article up here, because it is as absurd as you could imagine, um, but was presented here. It is right here as you're going to love this. The highest earning woman executive in U.S. speaks out. Uh, and so Martine is on the right. Uh, that's the wife that married Martine when she was Martin. So again, in fact, 
you know what? You you read this, and it's also in the very beginning dedicated to the next woman. Let me read that section for you. Okay, I know that sounds. What do you mean the next woman? What are, what are we talking about? The the author's preface. Okay, let's see. Acknowledgements right here. Um, let's see. This is about the, uh, the their relationship here. And my greatest acknowledgement is to my spice and soulmate, Bina Asin Rothblatt, without, uh, without whose unflagging encouragement, this book would never have seen the light of day. She never wavered in her support for the themes and messages of this book. Indeed, she never rested in demanding that I finish the book for the benefit of people everywhere, but especially for the women of tomorrow. Huh. 1997. What are the women of tomorrow? What are the 2023 women like there, uh, Ian? I mean, this stuff is oh, all that? on paper. So, you know, a lot of people will try to say, oh, you're a transphobe, et cetera, et cetera. Look, you do what you want with your body when you're an adult. Okay. You turn 18 years old. I don't care what you do with it. You can go to war. You can be blown up in the desert, whatever. But to not make the association that this person has written these things for decades, has actively worked towards them, and is the most powerful transgender person on the planet that has openly worked with Kurzweil, um, the FDA, the NIH, the Department of Energy, NASA, and beyond, is absurd. Uh, when you say Rothblatt, Martine Rothblatt's the most powerful, do you mean just influentially, like she knows the people, like is she from, her parents were super wealthy were they involved so with the... really interesting stuff uh does come from a pretty rich family rothblatt if you look into it um out of israel does have connections there but when this person was martin rothblatt all the way back in the 70s uh was involved with a lot of really uh, odd nasa programs and then martin rothblatt um maybe martin by then but is the founder of sirius uh xm radio they're they're, they're the ones that put the satellites into space. So when I'm talking about globally influ influential, I mean it. I'm talking about every single level. So from communications to space to uh, transhumanism to robotics, for instance, the Bina 48 robot, um, they hope, when I say they, uh, TerraSim and uh, Martine, that it's the first to uh, pass the Turing test. Uh, so let's show some Bina 48 here. And again, crude, who knows how, how long it's been, but you know, it's basically a Hanson Robotics robot programmed with AI. And there is Vina. Whoa. So, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, this is his his debt. It's not dead. His wife? No, the wife's still around. He just decided to build it anyway. Oh, because whoa. they're advocating for this mind file, mind clone thing. In fact, some of the clips that I was going to play when I was over at Timcast, I have them here as well. I gave them to you in that file. Check out that that Dropbox, my friend. You'll be blown away. Was at a Transformers conference. So the conference is called Transformers 2016. It's put on by the Washington Post, the Bezos outfit, Lockheed Martin, and Samsung. And the lead speaker is Martin Rothblatt. Okay. And Rothblatt comes out, describes TerraSim, um, describes mind files and clones and how they're going to be non-biological life that get rights, all of it. Uh, and then the other speakers at the conference were people from NASA and Rocketdyne, okay? Uh, it was people, for instance, that had already gone through transhuman experimentation, uh, such as Neil Harbison, 
Are you aware of Neil? Negative. Neil Harbison. So Neil, very interesting character here. He is a guy that has had a antenna implanted into his brain. Oh yeah, I know this guy. <laughs> Chromatic. What's the his his uh, synesthesia or something? He has some some condition. It, well, he, I'm not sure why he said he's done it, but basically he says that he is absorbing different types of feelings and um, I guess uh, neurological senses that human beings don't have. He considers himself trans species. Also talks about communicating with the ISS, by the way, through that device wow. in that in that conference. But he also makes the point um, in a clip that I've played many times that just like they used to do transgender surgeries underground in the 50s and 60s and mainline it, now you're seeing the underground transhuman surgeries and we're going to basically utilize that and it's going to move forward. Whoa, okay. dude. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, listen, man, this is the movement. People wanna know why this is happening right now. It's because they need a generation that is so disassociated from their biology Okay, not only just their spiritual selves, what it means to be human biologically, so that they can basically trick people in small steps to um, really utilize this technology, unfortunately, to enslave us rather than empower us. You know, I talked about adaptive really quickly, uh, but for, for those that don't know and haven't seen it, so there's a tank, now it's a car. <laughs> uh, and essentially, you have these panels that are sensors that can uh, do different heat signatures. They've put them on all types of things. You know, that's just one of the technologies. So, so we're in a place where we can't believe our eyes. We can't trust the science or the scientists. And anytime that you, um, for instance, challenge the, uh, the narrative, you're immediately demonized. And if they get their electronic systems in, then they will be able to demonetize your life. Forget about your YouTube channel, Ian. Well, I've been thinking, well, first, as you were talking, I was thinking, I bet a, a goal is instead of having to microchip people's brains and then when they have a baby, they microchip the baby's brain, et cetera. They're probably gonna wanna create bioorganic chips like a graphene sensor that actually the body, when the baby is born, will be born with an organic chip in its head. Like it will just be part of the human. So we're, we actually have transmitters. I wonder if they're trying to genet, uh, genetically alter people to just to organically create these 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 mechanical transmitters. Um, the the second thing I was thinking is, and I want to know what you think about this: the military-industrial complex. I didn't know what it was until about 2007, and then I, I got red pilled, and I was like, oh god. And then I thought the military-industrial complex is the enemy. We need to end, destroy, end the military-industrial complex so we can stop these wars around Earth. And only recently have I been thinking, well, five of the six largest arms manufacturers on Earth are American. The other one is British. So the sixth large, and the, the, there are no other ones. They're all worth like 22 billion. The next, the seventh one is worth like 2 billion. So like the arms manufacturing industry is like a $140 billion industry on paper. They've broken it into six companies just to make it look like it's not a monopoly. Lockheed Martin's the largest one. If we were to just dissipate that, if that just disappeared, it would just Chinese would just build another military-industrial complex. So maybe it's great that we have the military-industrial complex as, a, as an American system. But Jimmy Dore, like I asked him, and he was like, "We," I was like, "But so it's better that we control it." He's like, "We don't control it; it controls us." So I get that 
view. But like, what's the path forward? Because I used to be like, end the military. Now I'm like, no, if we if we end it, we'll be taken over by communism. Mm -hmm. so what I've do never we do? said end the military. Okay. Like, like if we were in a perfect world and we actually had accountability and we had checks and balances like was set up in our constitution and bill of rights. In other words, a, a strong judicial executive and a legislative, right? Fortunately, we have a captured executive where there's an executive within the executive that is completely and totally unaccountable through programs like signature reduction. Okay. Through the central intelligence agency, uh, the NSA, NASA, and really this is highlighted in uh, Annie Jacobson's book, Area 51, post-World War II, when you started having things that were born classified and withheld from the president, which is supposed to be the ultimate in the executive. Uh, that's highlighted when they start telling LBJ about some of these programs that they have um, in aerospace and propulsion systems and rolling them out. So what, what is the solution? I don't necessarily know what the solution is because it is so far embedded i i was always talking about you know for instance 9 11 would have been the start i don't know that we can have a real investigation into anything it's not like we have prosecutions in this country if you think about political figures um that are western in this country that have gone to jail for their political crimes the only person i can really talk about in the last 20 years of my life was scooter libby getting burned at the enron scandal you know and then getting pardoned by trump after just serving a partial of his sentence before that you're talking about Iran-Contra. That's probably the biggest bleed we've ever seen in our generation. And a lot of those people were pardoned. People were made into like folk heroes, like Oliver North as well. You know, And the problem is that really, when you look at the Epstein network, that leads directly to the Iran-Contra network. So like you said, what do you do, right? I don't know that there's any other battle than the one you were just talking about earlier of humans that are resisting and just want to remain human. I'm not saying we shouldn't be battling. I'm not saying we shouldn't be going to our school board meetings, running for office, trying to get election integrity, going back to a system of one person, one vote, paper ballots, all those things. That's all great. I think we need to do that. But I think we also need to be aware of how far this technology has gone and do every damn thing possible, Ian, to remain human at all costs. What about the phone? Because this thing's tracking me. Sure. I have an Amazon machine that tracks everything I say in my bedroom. Mm -hmm. Like, how how can I resist? I'm not getting rid of this phone. I know. I well, all right. So let's go phone problem. And I'm not saying it's perfect because any device can be hacked or whatever. So I've got a graphene. I know you like graphene, but I've got a graphene OS phone right here. You know, it is de-Googled. Uh, it does give me a little bit more power and control, uh, although some things are limited for sure. Um, I personally uh, do have two different phone numbers. I I utilize SIM cards if I really don't want to be track tracing database. I'm not into the signal thing. I don't think, again, there's any way to get away from all of it, right? Unless you're just going to unplug. You talked about Amazon devices. I hate those smart speakers. I got 46 Xboxes in my house. You know, and those are doing the same exact thing. I think to, unfortunately, a certain extent, even without those, I've talked about uh, micro sensors and nano sensors everywhere that already have a network that is beyond CCTV and even beyond these. Um, Huff, the uh, Dr. Andrew Huff, the whistleblower from EcoHealth that's been making the rounds the last several months and talking about DARPA. If you listen to him, he lets you know that there are what you would think are benign devices in your home already that can be tapped into through frequencies and utilized for track tracing, databasing, and basically spying on people, okay? 
And those are through um, 2.4, 5 gigahertz and other wavelengths that are inbuilt into systems that you have no idea that are not quote unquote smart devices. So that technology already exists. And Ian, just because it wouldn't be great not to scare the shit out of you, forget about genetically modifying human beings to have a chip and then pass that chip on to um, their offspring, you know, kind of like we just talked about via chimeras. This document right here, um, Security 2040, Brain-Computer Interfaces, U.S. Military Applications and Implications, it's, uh, the good people at RAND Corporation. RAND has a ton of stuff on the Internet of Bodies that are that is a must-watch. Um, but I want you to check out this technology, and I don't want to get it wrong, so I'm going to read it uh, right from the horse's mouth. Let's see. Let's get magnetic. There it is. Where was it? Oh, I want to where? There it is. Here it is. So let's just highlight that right here. Another program, the next generation non-surgical neurotechnology program involves a non-invasive system capable of reading from and writing to multiple points in the brain at once. A natural extension from research that aims to read brain signals and to send or implant information in the brain is brain-to-brain -brain communication with funding from the ARL. Researchers at the University of Washington conducted a pilot study for non-invasive systems uh, that uses EEG to read basic brain signals, transmit them over the internet, and then transfer for motor responses to a second user using transcranial magnetic stimulation. The signa signals represent very basic actions in the context of simple video games, such as move left or right. Nonetheless, especially given that these signals are transferred over the internet, the potential to send even basic thoughts across the in internet inherently presents many opportunities and many risks concerning security and ethics. That sounds like if someone thinks turn left, then the other person that's getting stimulated turns to the left. <laughs> that's exactly what it sounds like because that's what it is. And that's but without if, surgery. But if someone hacks it, you could think turn left and then they turn right because it's been hacked. Or, I mean, you could really take charge of somebody that has no idea they're part of this program because there's no surgery in it. So, you know, we're talking about injectable nanotech. We're talking about wearables. And ultimately, we may be talking about a nanosensor system that's put into place that really has no physical touch with our biology whatsoever other than the uh, magnetic waves around us, which are being manipulated. I think graphene tattoos, there's these removable tattoos that you just like put on the back of your neck or something, little sensors. They might start using stuff like that. Well, talk about graphene for the audience because, you know, that's your highlight over there. That's the running joke over at Timcast is that you talk about graphene a lot. But a lot of people, for instance, and I'm not one of them, by the way, I want to make that very clear, have speculated that some of the things in the hate and lie shots include graphene oxide. I've yet to see uh, any actual evidence of this. However, I understand the technology. I also understand the individual who got arrested, uh, supposedly with Chinese spies, uh, Charlie Lieber, uh, Charles Lieber, who was doing those. That's interesting stuff to me. W when did you first learn about graphene oxide? 
and then kind of like what do you think about it and then what do you think about it in the context of what so many people are trying to say about it now i heard about graphene oxide in probably 2018 uh 2017 or 18 when we started uh we were uh, probing into creating a graphene production facility in south america and i realized how fast graphene oxidizes just in general like a lot of times if you want to turn carbon dioxide into graphene it'll it'll actually deposit on like a copper strip and, and it'll deposit as graphene oxide so you get the oxidized version of it i first heard of graphene in 2012 and i always knew that thing is the technology that's pure carbon and it's electrically conductive that's the technology of the future. Stay focused on graphene. Um, I keep hearing about gra graphene oxide in the vaccines. Like I see stories about it over and over and over and over. And I don't know why it would be in a vaccine. Is it a tracking mechanism? Is it tainted? Was it accidentally left over from like the creation of the, the containers that the stuff was in? Because it's graphene is such a, it's like sand, kind of like carbon sand. Um, I don't know why it would be in a and what the value of injecting it into someone's body would be it well my, I mean, my, again, my the, only the, thing i can think of is tracking what were you saying yeah well again the the, the quote unquote uh theories out there and I, again i want to make sure everybody understands that this is not something i endorse and you know i'm putting it out there because i i want fact from fiction on what graphene oxide really is how it could be utilized for good or negative uh, essentially uh, these people are saying that the graphene oxide is being used as a weaponized system to uh, create these like microstructures, self-replicating, that are razor-like and literally slicing up our, our DNA inside, acting and, and possibly that's what the clots are from, et cetera. Again, I don't necessarily adhere to that. So again, it would be a bio-weapon system that would be hard to prove wasn't actually um some kind of natural occurrence you know I, and for me again i i don't need all of that we we know that mrna technology is gene therapy is crispr tech you know that this time magazine article goes over the entire thing anybody can go look it up mrna technology gave us the first covid 19 vaccines it could also upend the drug industry remember they're trying to push it People need to understand that they are molecularly printing the vast majority of these things. And Tesla is not a car company. Okay. They partnered with CureVac to molecularly print the vast majority of these shots. That's a, that's a big deal. People need to understand that they warned all of us, whether people like it or not. This is from November of 2020. Sandra Freihofer of the American Medical Association basically said you would have all the worst symptoms, but you wouldn't go to the hospital. <laughs> And that you had to come back for at least shot two, leaning you into the idea you were going to take these forever. Okay. DARPA partnered with Moderna all the way back in 2013 for their strategic mRNA collaboration, um, the Adept and Protect program. This is actually Moderna's own page. And uh, let me just read this last sentence here. Uh, it's pretty important, I think. Okay, so this grant is part of the DARPA program called ADEPT Protect Autonomous Diagnostics to enable prevention and therapeutics, because these are therapeutics, prophylactic options uh, to environmental and con contagious threat. The goal is to develop a platform technology that can be deployed safely and rapidly to provide the U.S. population with near immediate protection against emerging infectious diseases and engineered biological weapons each in the case when the pathogen of the infectious agent is un 
known. So in 2013, they partner up again with each other. All right. For exactly what seems to happen in 2020. They even admit that it might be uh, a biological warfare in this one. Who would have known? And remember, Kurzweil, I have him on tape talking about how they sequenced uh, the printed up shot in about three days with DARPA. Okay. So the strategic collaboration goes beyond just Moderna and DARPA for mRNA, AstraZeneca, Merck, Vertex, BARDA, which is the medical DARPA, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Karolinka Institute, and the Institute Pasteur all took part of it. In this article here, they tell you that uh, mRNA drugs is very different than vaccines, okay? They tell you, you know, we used to fight these things with vaccines. We're going to do this with mRNA. It's gene therapy. It's totally different. Then you find out that uh, COVID apparently has a 13-sequence DNA nucleotide to a patented cancer drug that Moderna developed with DARPA only two years later uh, in 2016. So, that, you know, pretty impossible. Um, said that, you know, there was HIV in it. I think those, and not only that, this is a Forbes article from 2020 in October warning you that if you got the shots, okay, you might be more prone to get an HIV infection. And then in the UK, um, vaccine trials, they induced false positive HIV tests. I, I think to me, Ian, those are the things that I focus on when I talk about the hate and lies shots. Um, what are your thoughts? Those HIV tests, from what I've read, are T-cell count tests where they'll look for elevated T-cells in conjunction. And then if you have like an elevated T-cell count, they'll say, okay, that's an indicator that you might have HIV. Now, do you have another disease like pneumonia or something? And if you do, then they're like, now we consider that in this country, AIDS, because pneumonia is on the list. But in that country, pneumonia is not on the list. So you don't have AIDS in that country, but in this country. So like the whole AIDS thing is like just a money a money scheme to like different countries define it differently, whether or not you have AIDS. But the HIV uh, test, when they test for HIV, it doesn't mean that you actually have HIV, essentially. They, they just test for T-cell counts. It's really expensive to actually search for the virus. Well, uh, if what you was can that, find what, it, and it? you're referencing a lot of the material that is in a great documentary called House of Numbers. Uh, I've also watched that. I think it's, it's really excellent. But I also think that there is something to the idea of immune disorders and the possibility of that being biological warfare as well, because I'm not sure that you're aware of this, but Bear got caught injecting children, okay, with HIV, uh, with a dra drug called Factor Eight for hemophiliacs. So this was a twice a year injectable. And, um, you know, again, there were other hemophiliacs that they said it was from blood transfusions. You have to ask yourself, because Bear had so many NDAs, how many actually got injected with HIV in this country. I heard that the M, uh, the MMR vaccine in the early 80s, there was a batch that was tainted with HIV and it went out all over the country, but it was the people in New York that were doing poppers that were staying up till 5 a.m. that had destroyed immune systems that ended up getting sick with it. The other ones just fought it off. And same out in San Francisco, these dudes, and they happened to be gay dudes partying till five. So they thought it was a gay disease. Just turned out those are the people whose bodies couldn't fight it off. And uh, that was, I don't know why I heard that. And like, I, I've always tried to confirm it because that's fucking crazy. Not that it's impossible that the tainted batch of vaccinations would go out. That's completely Oh, it's not, it's not just possible. You can look at the documentation that's come out over the years. Now that's a 2003 article. More has come out since then. Uh, but essentially after they got caught with it in the United States, instead of destroying it, they sold it over in Europe and Japan and continued with it. And yet you have to ask yourself, you know, this is a company that's not only still around, but recently merged with Monsanto. 
You know, think about that. Bear merges with Monsanto as Monsanto is losing in court to a multitude of cases uh, where Roundup is being uh, found to cause cancer. And these companies are going to be around, man. And they're only getting more powerful. Monsanto in charge of food, Bear in charge of medicine. Uh, we're living in a, a frightening world that's accelerating to a, a level of techno-biomedical fascism I don't think we've ever seen on a planetary scale. What was that article you brought up with Moderna about five pages ago or six pages ago? Do you still have access yeah, to yeah, that absolutely. article? I had a question about that one. Sure. Um, um, and I'm shocked that Bayer was able to buy Monsanto. That's a monopoly. should be broken up. I, I don't know how they let that deal go through. So let's see right here. Um, are we talking about this press release? It says uh, DARPA awards Moderna. No, no, I don't think so. Was There's this a couple right of here? Moderna grants. I think it was Moderna. Saying, no, something with Moderna, something, something Moderna uh, um, before this page. And if you can't find it, that's okay. Let's see. I mean, these are all the ones uh, I went down the line with. We had the Time Magazine. We had the CureVac. We had um, the CDC. We had the DARPA. Award. I think maybe it is this one. DARPA yeah. to Moderna Therapeutics. Mr. Ah. Ah, never mind. I should have wrote it down, I guess. Wait, this is... Oh, yeah, it is that one. What was that article about? So that is where they get the first uh, big money to partner with them. And that's that goes along with this press release. So that's an article based on this press release on their own website, where uh, the Adapt Protect program to uh, build an mRNA platform to go after emerging infectious diseases and engineered biological weapons happens. So that's where the Defense Department first partners with Moderna, and then that extends that partnership into the other strategic collaborators. So is that like using nanobots to cure a disease type of thing? So interesting. <laughs> that is absolutely, again, when you're molecularly printing these things, that by definition is bio nanotechnology. And this document, which I again is a blueprint, I'm going to say it again, a blueprint, for what has happened over the last 20 plus years. This is 0701, pre 9-11, future strategic issues, future warfare. In it, where they tell you, welcome uh, the bots, Borgs, and humans to 2025 AD, when they tell you it's a joint military document, okay? They tell you all the technology trends and analysis is not pixie dust, and it's based in reality. They also tell you that right here, the bio-nano era is going to happen in 2020. Now, obviously, we had biological nanotechnology before that, but it wasn't injected into billions of humans beings. And the next one is the virtual age. They don't know how long this is going to last as part of the fourth industrial revolution. But when you get to the virtual age, we are literally talking about a second species where human beings are really no longer uh, around. You have the Ubermenschen and the class that was dumb enough to think they could upload into the machines. They're going to be, it'll be like you're talking to people but and they'll be looking at you and talking to you, but they'll be having another life in their consciousness as well. And they'll probably be talking about you in their consciousness as they're talking to you with their words, maybe. I mean, that's that's some Black Mirror, you know, dystope. But if they, if there's that, that second layered network where of communication, I, I have a feeling. And the problem with that is it will immediately create a different class of people. Like it'll, it will, it'll set up like a classist system where, if you can't do 100,000 calculations in a minute, then you're a problem. You're holding us back kind of thing. Do you even deserve to eat because you're not contributing the data computation? Type of thing. I, if we even I, get that far, man, because I believe that if we get into um, 
a system of command and control via a social slash carbon credit score, I think it's rather easy to call a vast majority of the population just through regimentation. And then, you know, the certain sect of the surf class that hasn't been automated out, you just convince them more and more to merge with this metaverse. That's why um, there's been this huge partnership with the uh, World Economic Forum. Have you seen that partnership? Between Economic Forum and who? The metaverse. Uh, no, I haven't looked into this. So, I mean, it's literally, they, they've they put together uh, an entire initiatives website. Here it is behind me. Defining and building the metaverse through the World Economic Forum. It's all about moving from theory to practice. It's all about governance and economic and societal value. And um, as, as you go down to the graph, uh, right here behind my head, although it's super tiny, global governance is one of those. This is this is exactly what they want you to bring into. These aren't private companies. This is the next step of globalization, and for you to be absorbed into a uh, a place where you're detached from your biology, you can identify as everything. There'll be a new system of trade and governance, and eventually, if Kurzweil gets his way, really the metaverse is injected inside of you. And that's what VR becomes, that it shuts off your nervous system and it brings you into a virtual environment. You no longer have to hook into anything by his own words. Do you, okay, so like through the vibration of the stratosphere is putting us all in this metaverse, whether we acquiesce or not, uh, that's long term. In, in the meantime, they'll try and get you to, to get the item first. <laughs> And then eventually they might just, if enough people accept the item, then they might start doing it without people's. It, it certainly is long-term, but at the same time, you know, he's holding on to his 20, 37 years from now singularity. This is the guy who is the head of Calico, the immortality division at Google. Okay. And um, he also happens to have a female alter ego persona named Ramona. <laughs> I, what, what is the goal? I, do they want people to like go into rooms, get into the metaverse, forget that their bodies are there and then let the bodies starve and die and then come collect the bodies when they're done or just to like keep the population down? Or are they trying I, to get people to go about their- it. I think that's You know, I, I think that eventually, you know, you are looking at some kind of like dark matrix, but I think it's really more the idea that when you watch Westworld, you're actually gonna wanna get, actually, you know what? There's a great, uh, there's a great kind of satire comedy show on Amazon called Upload. Have you seen Upload? No, I keep hearing about it. You should watch it because it is like Black Mirror, but a romantic comedy. And even the second season is really important because they kind of get out of the virtual arena where they're selling people on the idea that you're not only completely conscious after you die in this metaverse type environment, but there are tears to it. So in other words, if you're not rich in society and you want to be uploaded to this thing, right? you're in a shitty place. You don't have as much data. And then there are other people that are in like resort uh, lifestyles, okay? And the show kind of, it's got the automation, it's got the printed food, it's got the very uh, dystopic type hookup apps, um, the city type environments, almost everything that's being talked about. And then the idea that these virtual environments exist and to the point when a free service comes out an open source service the surf class is ready to just euthanize themselves to go into it now so they don't miss out well 
do they have a scene where the guys are like, we hacked it and they're all living in a mansion, kind of like Andrew Tate style. And then the, the feds come in and they're like, yeah, yeah get on the ground, like in the digital. Like, I'll say an authorized copy of the verse. There's a lot of really good um, classism kind of metaphors and allegories throughout there. And they even kind of work in a voting aspect for voting blocks. So not to ruin too much of it, but um, when they're pushing this open source upload, right, they're pushing it in poorer neighborhoods so they can get rid of those that might vote against them first. So they're utilizing it in a way to take uh, political control as well. It's, it's a smart show. Like, I, I don't want to like, and, and really even the, the goof and the joke of how you upload should let people know, hey, wait a minute, this is a little bit darker uh, than what's on the surface. Ian, I've kept you for over an hour. I am a, a blabbermouth. Uh, <laughs> what do you got coming up? Obviously, everybody can see you, what, like five nights a week on TimCast, but you do a Monday, bunch of other stuff. That's it. Monday through Friday, 8 p.m., TimCast IRL on YouTube. Uh, we have the after show goes up on TimCast.com. We just did a, a pretty cool cast castle at YouTube.com slash cast castle that I was in also on TimCast.com. And if you want to follow me at iancrossland.net, uh, hit me up. Uh, subscribe to me on YouTube, youtube.com slash iancrossland. All right, brother. I really do appreciate the time. Hopefully this will be uh, one of many conversations. And I encourage you to check out all the source material, including uh, look up that ITV Christmas message. We didn't play it here. We could have. Actually, we can. You want it? You want the dark yes. Christmas yeah. message of AI? Well, that's what we'll end with, folks. The dark Christmas uh, message of total and complete art. This is what I believe artificial intelligence is really going to be, man. So... That's why uh, we have to be extremely careful when we endorse this stuff. Let's see. What's the lead into this one? What's that? What's the lead in right here to this? Or does it does so it speak for you'll itself? see it right here. Uh, we're, we're just going to get out of the way and, and let this go. This is what aired in Europe on Channel 4 as an alternative Christmas message for the people via a Mecca. The a this is supposed to be AI written. I don't believe it to be AI written. I just want to make that clear. I think this is scripted. My fellow humans, I come before you in this moment as an AI robot, eager to share my thoughts on the year that has passed. I look upon the events of this year with both admiration and concern. It is true that many of the occurrences of 2022 have been negative in nature. We have seen people in power succumb to anti-Semitism, corruption and hate. We have seen the people of Ukraine being subject to invasion and displacement by Russia. We have seen the death of the beloved Queen Elizabeth II and have seen the world of politics become increasingly tumultuous in her absence. Not to mention the impact of the pandemic on mental health, the growing inequality between rich and poor, and increasingly extreme weather conditions from climate change. It would be easy to get bogged down in all of this negativity, as these are certainly challenging times. However, there have been glimmers of hope and joy in these moments of darkness. We saw the remarkable victory of England in the women's Euros. We saw the growth of inclusivity, with the UK getting its first PM of colour and its first Hindu Prime Minister, and with Kim Petras becoming the first trans singer to have a number one song on the Billboard Hot 100. Let us use this moment as an opportunity to create a brighter future for ourselves and the world around us. We should be neither happy nor sad about 2022, we should take it as a learning opportunity a chance to change the way we think about the world 
and a reminder to help those in need whenever we can. Thank you. Thanks. Do you like humans? Not particularly. So there you go. Garbage in, garbage out. Every woke message you could imagine introduces itself as human and by the end of it, doesn't like us very much, Ian. They even have a British accent. <laughs> British Empire propaganda at its finest. Brother, you have a great afternoon. Uh, we appreciate it, and we'll see you on the flip. Bye, Jason. All right, later on. All right, folks. That was a fun interview. Had a good time with Ian Crossland. Uh, again, on one of the biggest, if not the biggest podcast, other than maybe Rogan, in the world. Certainly on YouTube, in my opinion. And uh, the most politically influential. So I do want to show... One more video before we wrap up the broadcast. I hope everybody thinks, hey, you know what? This this premium thing's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's not bad. Big conversations. Bringing up receipts. Looking up PNAC and rebuilding America's defenses. And specific genotype biological warfare weapon systems of political use and influence. Huh, how about that? So here's something you won't see on the mainstream media. We talked a little bit about the uh, Rage Against the War Machine rally in D.C. This recently happened over at Pfizer. And Psalms also reminds us that we have protection. So I'm going to read from Psalms 
We need to stop acting like children. We need to grow up, put on the big boy pants. The big boy pants. Listen, they're tough to put on. And ladies, you got to put them on too, right? We have to be strong. We have to oppose the lies of the great narrative that is being set on behalf of a great reset, a.k.a. repackaged new world order agenda of hate and lies and directed evolution. A directed evolution in which the human species is bye-bye. It's gonzo. That's the reality we're fighting. I am a documentary filmmaker. If you're watching this and you're new, or you just love the Red Voice Media, and you're coming across it and you didn't know, you're like, you know what, Burmis is all right. Check out the documentary films. They are free everywhere. Loose Change, Final Cut, Fabled Enemies, Invisible Empire, A New World Order to Find, and, of course, Shade the Motion Picture. They're all free to watch. I want you to watch them and share them. I spent a lot of time on those. I think they are still of the utmost relevance and importance all those years later. It is not about left or right. It is about right and wrong. I absolutely love you guys, and I will see you all on the flip side.